Hello, today I'm with Lincoln Gergar, and he's a spiritual teacher and a channel of the higher self. Hello, Lincoln. Hello, Justin. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you very much for being on the show. I just was introduced to you on, uh, you did a show with Alan Steinfeld, and I was so impressed with your presence and how you channeled that I thought it'd be awesome to reach out to you, and you uh, kindly accepted, which uh, I'm very, very happy about because... Yeah, that's how things are daily work out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love doing shows like this. You know, I think it's a great opportunity. In a lot of my videos, it's me channeling messages. And so the interviews and the podcasts offer like a different opportunity for my audience and your audience to kind of, you know, meet the person or talk with the person, you know, who channels these, uh, these higher states of consciousness. I think sometimes, you know, we don't always get the opportunity to see how like channeling affects the person who is the channel. Mm, absolutely. I think that the behind the scenes kind of aspect, the personal story is very interesting to me as well. Yeah. Um, and I was able to pick up a little bit on that from you uh, with Alan Steinfeld and other videos. Um, it seems like you've been doing this for a, quite a long time, the channeling, which um, is a bit unusual. Uh, when did you start? Um, well, I started being a public channel, I believe in 2006. Mm. So about 15 years um, but the channeling experience happened in me consciously when I was about maybe 18 years old wow. um, and when I started learning like there was such a thing as channeling I could reflect back on my life and even when I was you know in grade school I was having some like unusual states of behavior states of mind in terms of like no thought and like just going through a test and just like answering everything without thinking about it mm -hmm. um, and channeling school papers so in my experience, there were a lot of signs of awakening early on in my life. But growing up in America, where you know, we don't really have an understanding of this, it's not part of our culture. You know, some of these behaviors a lot of people have, but we're not really recognized for mm -hmm. it. I think you go to other cultures where like spirituality and meditation are like a, a common part of life, like in India, for example, young children stand out because they have you know, these unique characteristics and people identify them as like reincarnations or something like that. And in the Western culture, we really don't have that. I think it's more or less up to ourselves to awaken into who we are, usually when we're in like our 20s or 30s or so. Yeah, I did that a bit later. Uh, it was my late 30s. <laughs> so you've been on a bit uh, longer. Uh, and I, I, the lot of channels I met, they've typically 2012, 13, that was a big wave, it seemed like, and 2016, a few. And um, so that you actually, back in 2006, were even though that was like you really came out as a vocal channel, right? Yeah, I came out as a yeah, public teacher. Um, so that's my first video, I believe it was 2006. And then I, um, I was channeling like semi-professionally, you could say, like to people in my area in Sedona where I live, um, I think in like 2004. Mm -hmm. And this whole awakening started for me in the year 2000. So I had, it was actually the day after I graduated high school. Mm -hmm. um, I had my first awakening experience and it totally changed my life. I started adjusting everything I was doing with my free time. I started studying spiritual books every day and meditating in my bedroom and just totally shifted things. Wow, just right after graduation. That's quite a nice synchronicity. <laughs> yeah, it was literally the day after. Wow. I was so bored. I needed something to do. And my mom was involved in spirituality, reading books and that. And she liked to educate herself. And I went to her and I'm like, I'm so bored. My summer job hasn't started full time yet. And like, what can I do? And she threw out a bunch of suggestions. And like, I didn't want to do any of those. And then she said, here, why don't you like pull a book off my bookshelf? And I told her like, I don't read. 
And I was like a straight A student and like I did really well in school, but like I never wanted to read anything because everything was like depressing. Um, like all your pleasure readings, you know, your, your fiction, that's very depressing stories that the school would give you to read, you know? And so I didn't want any of that stuff. I didn't like it. And she said, my books are different. And so I went through a bookshelf with her and found a book on shamanism, uh, Carlos Castaneda, which I talk about in the Alan Steinfeld interview. And then a book on Zen, Three Pillars of Zen, and then also a Tao Te Ching. And so those were like the beginning of my journey. And then from that point, you know, it just lit a fire in my heart, like a really strong energy. I could feel it. And I just wanted to consume more of this knowledge and, and explore reality. Mm. You know, it was really about exploring what is the nature of reality. Yeah. It's, uh, no, it's uh, that you start so young, um, especially right before you went to college. I don't, maybe you didn't even go to college, right? You're saying that you... Yeah, uh, I went to college. Okay. Yeah, I, um, I shifted college. I actually was in a uh, pre-med program and at a, a small university and like a liberal arts college in America. And after my first year, I decided that that wasn't gonna be my path, that I really needed to devote myself fully to my spiritual path. And this college I was at was very small and it was focused on becoming a doctor or a lawyer. And so I left that school because didn't have the options that I wanted. I went to the state school, which had like 50,000 kids in it, you know, a giant mm -hmm. university. And then I pursued degrees in religion and also in psychology. Okay. And then you, uh, you're actually quite a while in Sedona since you said 2004. So how did that, yeah. well, that was obviously, that's kind of the Mecca, I guess, the States for spirituality at the moment. Yeah. So yeah. Calling, what called you there? How did, I mean, did you, I mean, get a vision or what was the reason? Uh, so I went on a road trip with my closest friend when I was in college and we drove across the entire country. So I'm from Pennsylvania and we drove to California where his aunt was living. And we stopped and camped at national parks and, you know, did that whole thing, lived out of our car for a month. And we went through Sedona. And when I got there, I had never known this area existed. I never saw a photograph of it. And I was just blown away by its beauty. I mean, giant red rocks and like desert blue skies. And then there's such a power in the land. So I felt so happy there. And when I looked around the town, I'm walking, you know, through the shopping areas, everyone was happy. And people would look at you in the face and they would smile. And I'm from these coasts where it's kind of drab and everyone's like looking at the ground. No one's really happy. And I'm like, oh my God, what is this place? <laughs> so it definitely made an impression on me. And that was um, my sophomore year in college. And so I had to continue through three years of college and three more years. And it was difficult to decide what I wanted to do because the more I awakened, and the more I understood about the world, the less it appealed to me to pursue just a career, either being a professor of religion or being a psychologist. Those are like my two places I was trying to go. And what I felt within myself, because I you know, accessed my intuition, what I felt within myself was that I needed to go to Sedona. Mm. Out of all my options, you know, graduate school or getting a job, it's like, no, I feel like I need to go to Sedona and I need to experience more of what's in this world. Mm. You've so stayed there since then? I mean, you've uh, yeah, more or less. Um, a few times I've left. I lived about like a year and a half or two years in two other states. Um, but I always would find myself coming back to, to Arizona, to Sedona. No, it's definitely, uh, yeah, I come from the East Coast as well, Connecticut. And so I, I, but now I'm in Germany. So it's not like, a, you know, that's even more of a less smiley faces on the street. Uh, <laughs> and I just get, you get used to it and you kind of go for that internal smile and just not care yeah. so much. But I, I feel yeah. like it's easier for a place like Sedona, perhaps just to be more 
that happy-go-lucky kind of person. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's very accepting. Um, so I was into some bizarre, you know, meditation practices like, like sun gazing and like mm -hmm. running on the desert trails barefoot. <laughs> you know, and like in Sedona, it's all kind of acceptable. You can stand out in your yard and look at the sun at sunrise or sunset, and no one really <laughs> thinks there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a place where I could really cultivate, you know, my own spiritual path and. You know, people knew what fasting was, and I was into some pretty, you know, extreme monastic type practices. And it was great because the community understood it. There's interesting people there. Um, people are exploring all sorts of things, sometimes things more bizarre than what I get into myself, you know, ETs and mm -hmm. all these other, you know, multidimensional realities. Uh, so it's a beautiful place. It's really open-minded. People are exploring reality. Um, yeah, it's, it's what I feel to be my home in this world. Nice. And uh, to the, the channeling, so you've actually developed a relationship with an entity that you call the higher self. And is that the exclusive entity with which you, you channel or you have it? Yeah. So essentially, the higher self is the greater part of our own self. So it's not like an ascended master or a Pleiadian or even a disincarnate soul. So the higher self is really this greater part of ourselves, like a guide that we have within, an inner teacher, an inner guru. It's often been called in like past traditions. Some would call it, call it like your full perfected self or your Christed self or your oversoul. Essentially, there's a part of you that you expand into the more you awaken. And this part of you lives beyond time. It lives beyond the limitations of this physical reality. And it perceives life from this state and it can communicate with you from this state. So a lot of people experience intuition, and I feel there's different types of intuitive abilities. Sometimes we're just directly sensing the communication that's happening in our environment non-physically. So we're like feeling other people's emotions or like reading the energy of a situation. And that's still personal, but it's a higher mind state. Then there's another type of intuition where we actually connect more fully to our own higher mind that has a very different and unique perspective on our situations. It's like the higher self is looking down like on a, a chessboard and seeing how everything is aligned and it can see like five steps ahead and it can see into the past and it can see like how we got here and where we're going. So it offers us an objective observational perspective. The higher self never like gives you a command and tells you what to do, but you can communicate and ask its perspective, ask its guidance. So it's, it's really like an inner teacher that we all have. Hmm. So that's my purpose in my work. It's really to help people to connect to their own inner self, their own higher self state. And then when you are connected, it helps you evolve into like your Christ consciousness or your Buddhic nature, you know, your, your most uh, perfected state of a human being. So it's really that perfected part that's guiding your human evolution. Wow. Uh, so yeah, it's not an individual form. It's more like a higher part of you. But I mean, it, it, we're talking about formless things. It, it's, it's the, I know a lot of these... in entities they can't even call them they don't even use names i mean it does it's just for our own convenience and um i guess the, the higher mind one could even say the inner self perhaps or the inner being or not to give it a, like a hierarchy i mean it does have a perspective we don't have but some people mm -hmm. uh, you get that feeling as well that yeah definitely yeah when i first heard the name so i'm channeling this consciousness and okay what do you want to be called as the higher self and i had like a similar response that you had like i don't like higher i don't like higher and lower and all these divisions and i'm like all into unity mm. so like it didn't fit well and i kept saying no we understand you know what you're understanding what you're thinking and, and we get that but we want to be called this and it's like well why and it's like it's not for you lincoln it's for the audience 
And I didn't know there was a higher self. Like um, I didn't know people wrote about it. I didn't know that it was out there because for me, like I studied ancient spirituality in college and I was really specific and I used like the collegiate libraries and I wanted to learn like from these ancient masters and I avoided like everything else because I wanted to go like right to the source and I felt really drawn to these ancient teachings. So I didn't know about channeling. I didn't know about the higher self. These were all like modern terms and modern things. I just followed the ancient paths. So when I started the, having the channeling experience happen, it was like really new for me. And it taught me how it wanted me to look at this. You know, so it was really unique in that way. And I just kind of followed it like, okay, you want to be called the higher self? Okay. I don't know why. I don't like the name so much, you know, but okay. You know, and then after, after time I realized, oh, okay, like this is a thing. And like some people have like located the dimension of the higher self and, mm. you know, different things. Um, so yeah, I kind of knew how I want to direct this process because in many ways, what comes through me is for the audience. I mean, it's evolved me in ways that I, I can't even begin to explain. I've you know been to other realities. I've been to states of pure light. I've been told things about the future that then manifest and like specific things like picking a day two years earlier. Like there's all sorts of amazing things that this greater part of us knows as it guides us on our path forward. Wow. I mean, that's a... Uh... Now, this, it came through as you know, some people who have experienced it. I mean, obviously, you experience as a, a voice or a feeling, and you interpret that feeling into a vocal. Uh, but it, it, I mean, uh, when it first happened to you, did you think you were crazy or that something was wrong? Because you had no idea what channeling was. Yeah. Um, I never thought I was crazy because I was like a very high-functioning human being. Um, so like I, I mentioned, like I you know, went to college. I mean, I had straight A's. I was dean's list. I got scholarships. Like everything came easy to me, especially with my mind. I had no stress. I didn't create drama in my lives. Like I wasn't feeding off these lower emotional energies. So for myself, I was like a very sane person. And so when these things started happening and I had already built a foundation of spiritual knowledge, it made sense. It was just the next step. Mm. For me, I was trying to connect into God. I was trying to understand, like, what is the nature of my reality? Why am I having this experience? How did I get here as an experience? So I wasn't even identified as being a human. I was more identified as a consciousness having a dream, having an experience. And so when this started happening, I understood it as now I'm being connected into the mind of the universe. So like everything now I'm able to access with my own intelligence it's not just me being a human perceiving something. It's actually one intelligence communicating within mm. itself. And it's like localized in different forms. Mm. Very interesting. Um, as far as uh, like, I think that's a wonderful description of how for me also, like it just, when, when I came to this realization, the awakening, it wasn't, it was just a remembering. It wasn't like, I wasn't, I didn't think I was crazy. I, I didn't you know, realize that this is a dream. Um, it was a, so for me, it came through also a brief kind of ego death. I don't know if you've experienced that or um, what, you're, do you, what do you feel about that as, how, as assisting the awakening process? Yeah, my own process of my ego purification is a gradual process. I've had sudden awakenings, such as my first out-of-body experience, my first Kundalini awakening where I shot out of my crown chakra. I've had these different experiences that really opened me a lot. But during this process, my ego didn't really struggle to block or really to integrate those spiritual experiences. Um, like the first time I had an out-of-body experience, like a powerful one, was my Kundalini awakening. 
because I had like dream experiences, you know, raising out of body when you sleep, but this was meditative and Kundalini awakening. And I shot out of my crown chakra. It took me about three days to integrate back into my body. And I remember I was trying to eat food. Um, I went to a friend's house and we were eating pizza with his parents and, um, or her parents. And, uh, and everyone's sitting there at the table and we're cutting our pizza and like, I'm really trying to pay attention. This was like a day or two after I had my out of body and I really pay attention, hope and no one notices because I'm not really in my body. And I'm like 19 years old at the time. And the pizza is like hitting the side of my mouth with the fork. Like I can't align my body's position. So I'm poking myself with the pizza and kind of just like kind of rolling it into my mouth and hoping nobody notices that I can't eat this, this piece of pizza with a fork and knife. Uh, so I had to integrate like an actual tangible experience rather than like a psychological battle. Mm. Like I had to learn how to, how to get back into my body and operate from this expanded state of consciousness and function here. Um, it wasn't so much a, the story of my mind was uncooperative. I wanted awakening. I gave everything to it. I saw my mind actually helping myself awaken. So at one point in time when I was in college, my mind was correcting my thoughts. So I'm just practicing Zen meditation, trying to be in awareness all the time and create a silent mind. And I noticed that I would have a thought and a second thought would follow it that would correct it and make it like more mature, more loving, more kind, more wise. And I'm watching this like, oh, this is interesting that's happening because I'm just being the witness and I'm observing this occur. Uh, so for me, in many ways, the, the self-talk was very cooperative. Uh, something I have had as challenges is more like an emotional desire. So in my human conditioning, right, we're all parented. We all have our belief structures and our families. And so when I got into romantic relationships, particularly, or in my business, um, I actually, you know, you can feel like, oh, there's your doubt. There's your belief in lack. There's your limitation. There's the frustration of like not being seen or heard or like not having the results you want in your business. And so for me, it didn't have talk. It had feeling. Mm. Um, so I had to learn like how to work with those feelings in my body, knowing that they're still influencing my behavior, knowing that I have like a deeper part of my mind that's silent of thought, but that actually has the belief that's creating the emotion and then causing the end result in my life. Mm. So yeah, for myself, it was very much a feeling-based purification, especially as I got older. Um, yeah, so it's just working at a different type of level in the mind, I think. Yeah, I, right, that's coming, I mean, more to me as well, the, you know, starting with the intellectual mind-based under, you know, understanding of these ideas and concepts and just like, um, you know, getting to that feeling place where it's just, uh, I think, more integrated. Uh, yeah. you, you also speak about, uh, I think with Alan um, Steinfeld, how you had the experience during your meditation of, thoughts before they became thoughts in your mind coming up through your heart. I thought that was a very interesting um, visualization. I, 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 don't, I don't know how, <laughs> I haven't had that actually experience. Yeah, for me it was feeling based. So, I, you know, I'm in awareness and my awareness was like what I understood to be the original teachings of Zen or Chan Buddhism. So it's just about being the emptiness and being present with whatever is and don't try to control it. Don't try to explain it. Like the less you think about it, the more you're going to understand it. So I'm just observing everything in college and trying to function as a normal student. And I noticed that like there's a feeling of energy that starts in my chest and it rises up. And it's like the size of like a pea, you know, like a small vegetable, small seed. And it moves up my body and then it gets into my brain. And if it, it looked like in my mind's eye, like light, like a, a white 
like piece of light and I could feel it. I first started feeling it, it would rise up. And if I stopped it just by feeling it and having a desire to like stop it, because I learned how to operate without thought and you just like want to stop your emotional response or you want to interrupt your thought and it just happens. Mm -hmm. So it's very much like a feeling-based knowing interaction rather than thought story. Um, so I noticed I could stop that movement. And when it would stop, I could feel where it was at. And as, if it didn't get to my brain, it wouldn't create a thought. And I would know what it is that I was understanding, but it wouldn't pop up as a thought. Mm. And then later on, a few years later, I saw a diagram or read about a diagram of the energy body and the causal body and how we have these different centers. So we have the deeper part of our mind in our heart and then the conscious waking mind in our head. So I was having deeper understanding from my mind, rising up, going through these three centers of unconscious, subconscious, unconscious. And when I got to conscious, then it would become an understanding in my human self. And if it went a step further, it would be a thought. Mm, so how, yeah. so how I live now is I don't really have thoughts, but I have understanding. So I'll know things and it's like an immediate knowing. It's like the aha. So that's how I process life. I just know things while I'm interacting. Even when I speak, I'm not thinking anything. Um, I'll have random thoughts when I'm like tired and like I, I slow down, I lose focus. But other than that, during my daily life, you know, it's basically silent the whole time. That's, that's exactly how Bashar and other entities describe their reality is that they're, they don't have memory. It's just given to them in the moment. And I'm, I'm guessing that's exactly how you would describe your ex experience. Yeah, I, I do have memories though, but I have to go back and get them. Right. And I have to be careful driving a car because if I start thinking when I'm driving a car, I'll actually see the vision of like my memory or my imagination and I'll stop seeing the road in front of me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I be careful where I go. <laughs> wow. That's, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, and you, your rigorous meditative uh, focus on meditation, you really attribute to this ability to stop thought and um, allow, uh, I guess you would say the direct communication to be channeled from your heart without much of a filter, you would say, or? Yeah, I learned how to not get in the way of it. Mm. Uh, so I never really filtered it in the sense of analyzing it when it was coming through. For me, and this is also how I learned how to practice meditation, I would remove the interruption or remove the interference. So when I was doing Zen meditation, any thought, any emotion, I just learned to silence it, to return to silence. So I learned don't analyze your thought, don't follow your thought with another thought, don't try to change your emotion, don't seek vibrational experiences of emotion, just empty, empty. So it was like relaxing the mind, relaxing the body, relaxing the emotion to empty it of any activity. And so when I became a channel, what I started noticing is I already was that empty container and that allowed me to bring through this higher consciousness. But sometimes a feeling of my personal self would like come up into my head. And I had to learn how to remove that just by like emptying it, releasing it so that I could keep that channel. Um, in my first videos, you'll hear me say uh, like, um, a lot of times. And those are the moments when I like, I'm having difficulty keeping that connection because mm -hmm. like my human mind just came back in. 
And so I'll be saying um a lot, or I'll say dear ones a lot. And dear ones is a way I connect to that channel. It just, you know, happened automatically. It was given to me. So there's like things that I know being on the inside, which I don't think the audience really knows about, of when part of my human self maybe pops up or interferes with the process. Mm. So during my, you know, 15 years or 20 years as a channel, um, I had to learn how to get out of the way, get out of the way, empty anything of a personal self so that I then could maintain that clear channel and just allow the consciousness to express through me. Well, that's a, that's a wonderful, uh, it's, a, it's a skill and a gift. I mean, I know like Paul Selig, if you watch him, he, he seems to be uh, a little bit suffering. He wouldn't even admit it. Like it's, it's a bit of like transcribing for him. He's, you know, he repeats it. What's, what's, coming yeah. out and, and, it's, and, and with you it seems like a more of a a pleasurable experience oh i love it yeah <laughs> and <laughs> i feel so amazing uh, i get to become that experience and i feel like it's more of i know it's more of who i am it's more of my eternal self but my human self has the joy and the pleasure of learning about that it's like meeting your best friend every time you channel and your best friend educates you and informs you and lifts you up in vibration and at the end of the day, your best friend know, or you know that you are your best friend. Mm. You know that you are this great wisdom, this great love, and you are becoming it. And it's a journey of the soul awakening. It's like we're all going closer to our God consciousness state in every moment. And I think when we're pretty far back in the path, like everything looks dark, you know, we're suffering all the time. We don't necessarily get to experience that joy. But when you get into the light, you feel the light and it's good and it's nourishing and you want to go towards it. And then when you get to the wisdom stages where you start learning new ways to interpret your reality, then it adds like a whole nother dynamic of pleasure. And with, with, were there any specific um, ideas that came up in your own discussions with your higher self that blew you away? I mean, uh, maybe that's a, mm. is it something that come to mind where you're um i always like the intuition stuff you were saying of course that would blow you away of course saying like yeah for the first few years yeah a lot of stuff blew me away um you know just realizing things for the first time and realizing that there is this higher consciousness really seeing what the higher self is continues to impress me so it's this field of like beautiful love and totally accepting and totally loving and totally supportive and that's really impressive to my human self because that's where I want to go. Mm. You know, I want to be always in love without judgment and criticism. I want to be in this confident, creative state. So just being in that presence or witnessing what we are as this perfected self. Um, yeah, it's really impressive. Uh, the experience of being it is the most desirable part for myself. Mm. Uh, like I said a few minutes ago, I've gotten information about like the future and events and I've been told you know, certain experience I'm going to have and people I'm going to meet and, you know, all sorts of things. And that's fun. It's yeah, fun, it's... but it, it doesn't really get to the, the core of you and what you really love and what you really desire. And at least for me, that is becoming this, this bliss, becoming this experience of oneness where there is no stress and compression and feelings of separation, where you just realize everything is you and you're just celebrating everything. And you feel like in this lifetime you you will achieve this? Have you, um, it's, it's, it's doable for you? <laughs> I think it's happening for all of us. Yes. Uh, is there a limit to it? I don't. I don't know. Um, I've been to dimensions in which everything is one white light. So I've been to this place of seeing like pure singularity, where I know that that which is creating me is this one single state, and everything is in it. 
So I've had that, those enlightenment experiences, what I call enlightenment, where you go back to the beginning, the light of creation, like before the multidimensional Big Bang happens, before your consciousness starts splitting itself into perception of self and other in different forms. Mm -hmm. So I've had those meditative experiences, like even I think the first time I had it, um, I think I, I just moved to Sedona, so I was probably around the age of 22. Um, so I first had that experience. I was doing like a month of meditation. Um, I took off some time from work and every day I just wanted to meditate all day long. And so I would meditate and then I'd like read some like spiritual book that had all these different practices. So I would do my own Zen meditation and also energetic breatharian practices with this teacher, Joss Muheen at the time. I had um, one of her books, The Food of the Gods. And so I was doing that, aligning myself as much as I could. And that's when I had that first, you know, white light, other dimensional experience. Did, I know that the higher self uh, mentions a, a nice, uh, idea for a day just to spend um, you with with the mantra I am God. Mm -hmm. Have you done that? And what was the, what was the result of that? <laughs> uh, have I done it? No, honestly, <laughs> no. I'm a bad student. <laughs> well, I mean, you, but a whole day's meditating. I mean, that's that's still. I mean, a lot of people yeah. can't do that. Yeah, I've been in the I've been in the states, and I have since I first started awakening of wanting to be in that understanding in every moment. So when I first studied Zen Buddhism, one of the teachings was meditation is not something you do for 30 minutes a day. It's something you do every moment of your life. And it's like healthy eating for me. It's something you have to commit to because you understand the value of it. And it's a constant growth journey. So I eat as best I can all the time. I don't just like eat well and then go on junk food binges. I don't just, you know, meditate in the morning and evening. I'm trying to always be in that state of mindful presence. So I'm trying to be the I am God experience all the time. Um, I never really did mantra practices. I never did affirmation practices. They didn't really appeal to my logical understanding when I was learning these different things in college. I just wanted silence. I, I was basing my actions on an understanding that I, don't, I really don't know what truth is, but I'm trying to discover it. So if I'm putting an affirmation into reality, how do I know that that's the best state, the highest state, what the universe wants for me, what's in alignment with me? I didn't know, I didn't have intuition at the time like I do now, so now I know more things about how to act in alignment, but back then I really didn't. I just logically kind of figured it out. I just have to surrender and trust life and trust the universe and put myself in the state of open, empty awareness with a, a silent intention to always live in alignment and to always be pursuing that which is serving my highest good. Mm. Do you, I mean, obviously the more one goes up in this game, obviously with the more, I guess there, you still have your challenges, of course. And uh, so maybe you can, on a personal level, what, what, is some, what are some of your challenges that uh, you, you have to, uh, your alignment? Yeah, it's uh, typical things. Um, so for me, there's uh, like relationships. I have some challenges in relationships. And the big, the big challenge is everyone thinks different. Everyone feels different. And the problem really happens with communication. Um, it's not really the love. The love's there. The kindness is there. But it's how do you communicate yourself in a way that allows like clear communication that doesn't like bounce into triggers. And I realized that that's impossibility. You're, you're always going to run into your triggers and other people's triggers. So the lesson is like, how can you try to communicate as clear as possible so the other person understands you? Mm -hmm. And it's not just with words, it's also with feeling. And the challenge we have is when we're emotionally triggered, we step out of that heart space, out of that clear space, and then we communicate a different feeling with our words. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, relationships is a big one now. That's because uh, yeah. that's uh, where the idea of attachment is a bit there to the opinion of the other, and yeah, that's yeah. You want to feel oneness, and you you seek it emotionally, and you seek it intellectually. So I, my experience is in every dimension, whether it's physical, which is where that intellect is, you know, like logical thoughts and the symbol of language, like all our words mean something else. Um, so emotion, thought, word, and then the mental body, we all want to experience a union. So like when we eat food, it's union with the object of food and it's pleasure. When we move, it's union with our environment and it's pleasure. Mm-hmm. When we create in conversations, it's union of thought and union of emotion. So we as consciousness and as form are always seeking unity, just like atoms always seek other atoms to create compounds, right? And everything wants to build life that way. So we're always separate forms seeking unity in all the different layers of our being. Um, so we're always going to desire that. And then the challenges are differences because, yeah, that's what keeps us apart. So I think the game of life is just a, an interaction of separation seeking unity in a never ending way. And we wake up eventually to an understanding that I'm more than this. I'm the consciousness having an experience for eternity and I'm beyond the changing forms while the forms are inside of me. So the forms are me, but I'm not limited to being just them. The forms are my creation, but I'm not stuck and trapped in all the changes that they experience. Mm. Yeah, that, that's uh, the higher self. I've been listening to a lot of the channelings you have and mentions that quite often. Um, yeah. Just, uh, yeah, that, that view that it's all, of course, happening inside and, and really just to hammer that in. And if it's, it's for us every time, and I think that the, odd, the best thing in spiritual practice, I guess, in some meditative practice, you would probably agree, is just like that puff, buffer zone of, when something happens that's kind of shocking just or you know the, the first step is to take a step back and go and say okay you know clear that out what is you know not an automatic reaction just you know kind of at least neutral and then reflect upon it if you can in a moment or later what the belief is underlying that um, yeah yeah and then the more you practice that the faster you can get at it and it just happens automatically so when we have an emotion arising, if we're very aware and we're feeling the emotion, we can grab energy out of that feeling. Because my experience is every form has the understanding in it because the understanding is creating that form. So every emotion has the knowledge in it. And if you feel your emotion well enough, you understand the reasons. So now I'm at this experience where as soon as I feel a movement of something in my body, I know how my mind interpreted the situation I'm in. Um, so it's almost instantaneous. It's really quickly following that feeling. I think the more we practice being present in our energy body, feeling our emotions while we're living, the more we can have that immediate understanding then. Mm. It's, uh, and as far as like practical tips on meditation, so with all these distractions, I think um, in modern day life, and, and it's just so easy to... I don't know, a Zen Buddhist monk could go to a cave and, and stay months there and have some, you know, but it seems like that's not our way here. We're kind of having to deal with temptation all over the place, uh, which is, a, it's, a, it's definitely a master's game, I'm saying. I don't think that every spirit wishes to go through this. <laughs> but uh, I mean, um, yeah, maybe do you have some sort of uh, practical tips for people who, who would like to expand their ability? 
Yeah. Um, I love how you said it, a master's game. Uh, I think that's a great terminology for it. I haven't heard that before. I, I like that a lot. I might use it in one of my one of my videos when I hear that. <laughs> I'll give you credit here and now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we really are challenged in this world. I think our souls, like all of our souls, have had past lifetimes where we were monks. And we were living at a slower pace of life. And life wasn't so challenging and in our face. And we're all ready now for this time where we're trying to pull from all of our past lifetimes and all the skills we've learned and put it all together to really create the great mastery for ourselves. Uh, so I see like, you know, time's coming forward. There's this end time of a previous world cycle and the beginning of a new world cycle. And in my understanding, we're actually already stepped into the beginning. That rollover was 2012. So we're already in the new world cycle, but the old fragmented parts are still trying to hold their place in our lives and in our minds. And they're being pulled away as the new state of consciousness emerges, this heart chakra air element state of consciousness. Mm. So that's kind of how I perceive it. Um, so tools and tips for meditation. I think the most important thing to do is learn how to relax. And I think that's something we have to practice all the time. I think one of the reasons why people struggle with meditation is they're too head-based and they're not body-based enough. So a lot of people approach meditation when they start as like being up here in this little box of thought, trying to stop every thought that happens and it becomes exhaustive, it tires us out. When we're living our daily life, we should practice feeling ourselves in our whole body because your nervous system's in your whole body. Your consciousness is creating an aura and creating an energy body and a physical body. And so we really need to learn how to occupy the fullness of those different forms. So of our three multidimensional forms. So practicing being in your body, when you notice you're tense, ah, relax. When you notice you're holding your breath, release it and try to come back into a balanced state of breathing. Our breath is so important because it changes our nervous system. It changes the rate of thoughts and the quality of thoughts we have. So if we learn how to just relax into a balanced state of breathing, like less control and more participation, more like engaged observation. So we're not like distant, we're rather feeling it, we're with it. And uh, yeah, so being in relaxation during the day, I think that's really important. Learning how to relax your mind, quiet your mind. Because all meditation is, is a time period you set aside where you remove distractions. So you create a silent physical environment. So you like go in your room alone and you're not having all these things coming at you from the world. You try to create still emotions. So you keep emptying yourself out and you don't use that time to think about other things or process your life. You try to create empty mind. So we're really trying to negate the influence of forms so we can arrive at the realization that I'm the clear space of consciousness and I'm a silent intelligence different than thought, emotion and body-based experiences. And I'm this creative energy that's different than the energy of my body, like my nervous system vibrating and my cells vibrating. I'm an energy different than emotion. I'm this silent, still emptiness energy like this invisible hand of God energy. So the more we can cultivate that same understanding and approach while we're living our daily life, just by relaxing the forms, then it becomes easier when we sit because we're already maintaining a more stress-free state in our life. Then we can go deeper in the meditative state. And do you recommend uh, guided meditations or just uh, breathing without guidance? Um, I do recommend that you try to do it on your own without like listening to something only because you want to learn how to do it yourself. Right? It's like uh, reading a book versus having a book read to you. You know, you're a little child and your parents read you the book and it's a great story. You know, love it. It feels so good. It's happy. Then you try to read it yourself and you struggle and you get angry. You can't read the words, you know, cause you're a little kid. So that's like meditation. Everybody loves guided meditations because mom and dad are reading books to us and it feels great to have something guide us. 
And that's wonderful and we should be using that, but we should also be cultivating the ability to read for ourselves, you know, to learn how to work with our own mind and our own emotions to control them. That's a nice analogy. Uh, yeah, I never thought of that before. I never, <laughs> no, I like it. Or not. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I often use uh, guided meditations and affirmations and, um, but anytime, I mean, I do sit and, and, and see the, see the difference. Cause then if it's, the positive stream of thought that that's being given to you, you're focusing on that. And, you know, I am worthy. I'm, you know, I'm whatever great. Or, mm-hmm. And then it kind of overwhelms your normal patterns of thought. But as you, and I think that it filters in throughout the day. Um, but it, maybe it's a different skill, of course, to um, be conscious of your thoughts that you're having and be able to stop them and then, you know, make a choice for what, what do you want to feel? What do you want to think? Yeah. Yeah, you developed that ability. Yeah, and we are part of the uh, we are part of an external environment. So I think we can skillfully create our environment to support our growth. Like you know, you have a, a certain place you live that has qualities of calmness and peace and maybe higher vibration. You can play music in your home. You know, put some speakers around your home, play tranquil music. YouTube and stream on these meditative music things, or do a, a mantra or an affirmation through the music because that is still something that's feeding your mind. And now you're feeding with positive energy and positive understanding and positive vibration. Because sometimes our own self-talk isn't so positive. Sometimes our own emotions don't feel as good as if we're listening to like relaxing spa music, you know, or sound of nature. So we really should strategically use our environment because it helps us. Um, In my own journey, I've been less about following rules. I'm kind of rebellious in my own sense. Um, when I was young, my older brother was into like punk rock music from like the 80s, you know, and so uh, so I had like this rebellious nature kind of, you know, fostered in my environment. So when I first started learning about the religions and all the rules, like I didn't want to follow them. I didn't like how they were telling me how to behave. What I wanted was results. So what I learned to do was to be open to anything and see how things work and then choose what's most effective. So I can take like this practice from this religion or that practice from that religion or this idea from this religion. I didn't feel that pressure to conform. I felt instead motivated to get results. Mm -hmm. So if I notice I'm like listening to a mantra, like right now, the last like three days I've been playing in the morning, the Guru Stotram mantra, which is one of these like famous texts. And there's a beautiful voice, this woman's voice is, it's so loving and so caring and so devotional. And uh, so I've been playing that in the morning and just listen to it for like 30 minutes. And it just feels amazing. It puts you in a really nice state, like a really beautiful devotional state. And so I'm using it right now because my self feels called to that for whatever reason. Um, I may not listen to it tomorrow. I may you know, only listen to it for these last few days. For me, it's not about rules and rigidity. It's about results. And it's also about honoring your intuition. That's a, I, I think that's, a, that's perfect because, uh, I mean, some people believe that, I mean, everybody has their own way anyways. So it's, it's like, nobody can show you that way and you can just give you pieces to it and um it does you know and i think it does train the intuitive abilities much more if you just open up the day with um even with no rules you have no idea what it's it's going to be and just like maybe with intentions or whatever you know at least to be happy but mm-hmm. um it seems like that's the format that that reality is supposed to work on like the program i, I feel like this these other archaic programs are like i don't know like some ping pong version on a you know an old kind of a apple computer and now we're you know we're doing 3d stuff yeah 
Yeah, we're learning, we're creators. Um, and before, like other people had the knowledge, our teachers, our gurus, our saints, our sages, and they were telling us, but the more we awaken, the more we're interfacing with our own reality directly. And we're realizing they often gave us really good advice, but now we're understanding what it means. And now we're doing it ourselves. And we're really stepping into the realization that we are masters, that we're these creators of form. And that's what I see happening in the, the whole world right now and worldwide. The old positions of power are still trying to tell us who to be and how to think and how to act. And all these souls are waking up saying, wait a minute, like I disagree. You know, that's not what I want my reality to be. Like you want your reality that way. And okay, but I want my reality this way. And we're really stepping into this realization that we are creators and we're stepping out of this mindset that we're victims and we're powerless and that we need to be parented by other people. Because yeah. as we know, as children, like now we're adults and we look back we're like, wow, like our parents did great in some ways and like horrible in other ways, you know, and that's the best all any human being can do. You know, we're always trying to do the best we can. So we love our parents unconditionally. But as adults, we realize like, I have to choose my own way now, you know, and so we're healing our parental wounds that have been passed down through generations of karma. And then we're also healing our social wounds that are still, you know, magnification of general human parenting karmic wounds. Mm. Everything we learn as children, we start living with as adults. And then we wake up, we can reflect and say, wait a minute, that's not really working for me. And then we change that. No, definitely. It's a process of letting go and um, letting in. It's, uh, it's funny because we've all been, I think, our generation, I mean, uh, I'm actually 42, I don't know how old you are, but 30s or something. I'm uh, 39. 39, so a bit close. And, uh, you know, growing up with a lot of, you know, Star Wars and other you know, a film like that, that's one of our powerful vehicles of communication to like, how does one deal with reality as we know, know it actually it's, it sounds like, you know, the, the, the ideas of the Jedi could be used, <laughs> but, you know, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah. I, I who'd have thought, I mean, it's like, you know, like uh, teaching about, you know, Yoda teaching about meditation, you know, these type of, it's like, we've, we've already prepared ourselves for, you know, in very unique specific ways that, you know, previous generations didn't have media. Um, they just, you know, didn't have so many tokens of information they can draw upon from. But now I think we have like, a, for our fantasy is like a next level, um, is my opinion that. Uh, yeah. No. yeah, even the most popular films right now, like the highest earning films are these superhero films. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all becoming superheroes in our own reality, awakening all these non-physical powers, you know, um, and not just like, you know, the cities, but even like, you know, emotional mastery and being courageous, like taking on the personality traits of these successful, you know, superheroes, these successful human beings. Yeah, and it's good to see a lot more women now. That's what's a big trend yeah. now, which is, uh, you know, I think that the, the recognizing the divine feminine and, and seeing how that's uh, yeah, kind of very in a way, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and that's related to the new world cycle as well. Um, so when I look back, like psychically, you know, do some remote viewing or Akashic record things, I see that there's been oscillations of which gender is in power. And so like the male energy will be empowered for a certain period of the cycle, and then it'll switch to the female energy. And then in between that switch, there's a time of balance. So it's kind of like um, a pendulum swinging. And like right for a period of time, it's perfectly balanced in the middle, but then momentum carries it past it. Mm. And that's like the infinity sign. If you draw an infinity sign, right, there's a moment where they meet in the middle, but then mm. momentum takes them or beyond it. 
Mm-hmm. So when I actually was in, in college, I went to the Zen Center and did a, a retreat with all these Zen monks. And it was like an educational program that college students and college graduates could do. And so I was in college and I went to New Mexico. I drove from Pennsylvania to New Mexico to do this program. And there was a Zen Roshi, and I think he was like 90 at the age, or 90 years old at the time. And he gave us a talk and it was translated because he only spoke Japanese. And he talked about love being this center point and these two concepts in Zen Buddhism called Tathaga and Tathagata. And it means like thus come and thus gone. So it's like movements, like coming to you and going away from you. So it's these dualistic movements. And when he was lecturing, what I was seeing in my mind and what I was like drawing on my notes was the infinity symbol. Because he said that like Tathaga and Tathagata or like male and female, they're desiring to experience themselves. And so they move away from each other because the more you explore masculine, the further you move away from feminine. And the more you explore feminine, the further you away move from masculine. So you're desiring to explore yourselves. And that's like drawing lines from the center of the infinity outward. But then you get to a point where you understand what you are, but you realize you're only half of reality and you're missing the other half. So you're at these furthest points and then male starts going in the female direction. So it starts going to the other side and females seeks male starts going to the male direction. And so now female is doing male, male is doing female and they come back together and they meet. And when they meet, it's just a brief moment where male and female are perfectly in balance. Mm -hmm. And that's this love experience. That's this unity experience. And then the energy of their their movement keeps them going past each other. Mm -hmm. So male continues to explore female where now it becomes out of balance and too feminine. So male starts becoming female and female starts becoming male. Again, you get to the point where you're totally male or female and then you come back around. Mm -hmm. And that's like an analogy for the universe. Mm-hmm. and how creation just continues happening and why we all seek this balanced state of union. Yeah, so I, I think that the, another, just listen today about the, the higher self was talking about that in a, one of your mm-hmm. satsangs. It was really fascinating, the, this duality and, and you know, the idea of uh, sp- space and thought and how that's feminine, masculine, and you know, all these. And, and I think it's, I mean, it's obviously one energy just expressing itself you know, in this dualistic form, uh, and so it's, it's in all of us. But it's we're not, you know. I guess the propulsion is moving us to that other side of you know, of who we that that half of us that's missing. There's always going to be a part of us that's always you know we that's we want that part to be because it's somewhere inside of us. But um, this idea of looking on the outside is changing though, obviously. So that's not, that can't be the propulsive element for our new reality, right? I mean, it's more like we're doing this internal work. Um, what do you think about that? Cause doesn't that kind of change, you know, how we're moving through our reality? And yeah, I, I see they're related. I, the more I wake up, the more I see that the inner and the outer are doing exactly the same thing at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so as you look historically, the world on the Western part of the world, which we call the West, they were focused externally. So it's external progress, external development, external understanding. So all of our sciences are very materialistic because the external dimension, even our body and the world is physical matter. And then the inner dimensions are emotion and mind. The causal body is the mind and the astral body is the emotion. And so the East was exploring inward. And now technology's brought the world together. The internet is sharing information from all the cultures. Transportation has united the world. So we're actually bringing together these understandings of external exploration and internal exploration. And that can be broken down to the analogy of male and female. 
right? Like external seeks complete external and then it gets fulfilled and now it wants to know the inner because it realized the inner knowledge was missing. Then the inner wants to go outer. So India that had all this external poverty but all this internal wealth is now like starting to gain external wealth and come back. Um, so the, so there's, there's always these movements I see to try to maintain balance, but in that movement, there's also like a corkscrew spiraling that's happening. And that's the DNA helix. And that's the, um, the way the Kundalini is drawn. That's the way the chakra system is drawn, right? It's a figure eight. And if you look down from the top, it's spiraling like a corkscrew in on itself. And that's how consciousness in this human reality evolves. Um, it's also the sign of the caduceus, the, the medical sign with the, the snake going up the, the medical bar. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so my experience is that the inner and the outer are also mirroring each other. So if we study the outer and what's happening in our lives, we'll see how our thinking and our emotional feelings are related to that. And if we study the inner, we'll notice how the outer is related to it. So we can't separate any forms in our reality, especially as different dimensions. For myself, I spent a long time looking at the inner and cultivating the inner and kind of just letting the outer be what it's going to be. And my outer life got more manageable and more quiet and more peaceful because I was creating more peace and quiet inside myself. But it wasn't until the last few years that I really started being guided by my intuition, by the universe to start focusing more on the outside. Mm. So for 20 years or so, I was very internally focused, silence, stillness, inner cultivation, what I ate, how I exercised was all based upon my inner states. And then I start noticing I'm feeling drawn to really understand this inner and outer connection and really cultivate a more evolved outer experience. Mm -hmm. So I changed how I approach the channeling uh, business, if you call it a business, the service. Before it was like for 15 years, it was all donation based. Um, it was like, whatever you want to donate, I'll work, for it, work with you. And that helped me get through my own you know, psychological conditioning. And it also taught me a lot about the world. And then as I shifted more, I realized that there's higher ways that I can become in alignment, such as being an example for higher ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, just letting the world do whatever it wants to do with you is not really an evolved way of thinking, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it comes from a heart-centered place of compassion. Mm -hmm. And along that journey, I cleared up like my limitations and like my frustrations and that. But then I also saw how I needed to come at a higher level as well and be more of a creator of my reality rather than just being submissive to whatever the environment does for me. Mm -hmm. And so the way I stepped into that was again with emotional alignment because the process is always inner to outer. So I aligned my understanding more in a way of trusting myself rather than just stepping back and allowing things to be. Because mm. I want to know that I'm a creator and kind of create with my highest understanding rather than just reside in my highest understanding. Because it's a different feeling. Um, and I realized that underneath it, part of me was fear. Part mm. of me was a fear of stepping into the creative role in my life. Mm. So it's like, even though I was this like, you know, excellent meditator, like I excelled at it, I, I practiced a lot and developed myself. There were other areas where it's like, yeah, this was still hiding. You know, here's my like belief in lack and here's like my, you know, fear of abundance and my lack of confidence. And it's like, yeah, like the universe is trying to bring me into a new part of life so I can go deeper into my consciousness and refine more of my limitations where there's these subtle parts that are afraid to be the person that I am. Mm. Fully express myself and say, I don't have to limit myself. I have to have to be myself mm. and realize that's always an ongoing journey also.
And the spiritual community, I mean, the, the, that's one of the big hurdles that a lot of spiritual teachers have is, is setting a price and, and feeling that they're, they're worth that. And of course, you're worth whatever you feel you're worth in, in this game and in this life. And I, I think a great, wonderful example has been Tino Masaro, who's is he in Sedona as well. Probably... Uh, he was, but he had to leave Sedona a few years ago. Okay, he had, he had he was forced to leave, or uh, yeah, he did some things that the locals didn't think too highly of, and so he went to Hawaii. Okay, uh, Hawaii. I think he went to Hawaii first. I don't know where he's at. Okay, now. Yeah. I don't really follow him. I have friends who inform me because I don't really do the social thing. But yeah, the few years ago there was a big event that a few big events that happened in town. I mean, he. I mean, it's just an example of somebody who is. How do you say, you know, not putting back his how do you say he's putting very much in front like this is who i am this is how i feel i'm worth you really know. be careful because that i'm not not saying it's about him but that can be uh, and it's common with spiritual teachers it's like a narcissism mm. right there's a spiritual narcissism in which a person likes being in a position of power and they actually have abuse of power mm. so um yeah it's real common because you have to be careful being a teacher um, and this, there's lots of pitfalls because when people want to give you power, like they want you to make decisions for them and they'll give you whatever money I have, just like make my life work right. Like a lot of teachers can get very abusive of abusive power, abusive control, and they forget that their purpose is to help the student become their own teacher. Mm. If we're in limitation, I want to stay a teacher. So I have to stay in that power role. I have to make them believe they're powerless. So they need me to teach them. And during that process, I can essentially like, like suck energy from them, like get money from them, get popularity from them. So mm. we have to be real careful. Um, and this is why I think it's, again, I'm not saying this about anyone in particular, please understand that. Um, we have to be real careful about how we emphasize words because we have to learn how to read energy. Mm. So my experience is energy doesn't lie but words can lie and deceive. You know, I can say like, I'm happy and I can feel miserable inside. But if you can feel my emotion, you'll know, wait a minute, you're feeling miserable. You're not feeling happy. Um, so one thing that was interesting, I was just talking to my friend about two nights ago. I had my brain hooked up to a machine and it measured me, measured my brain during like meditation and waking states. It was really cool because I'd never done anything like this. And they showed like alpha, beta, delta, theta waves and like gamma and what was happening when I was meditating or doing psychic reading or um, going into a higher dimension with my consciousness and channeling the higher self. So it was really cool stuff. It was eye-opening for me. And what they found is that I don't really have beta waves in my brain. So in a resting state, like the beta activity is basically zero. And I have a whole lot of alpha activity. And then I also have a, a very strong amount of delta activity. And my theta is, you know, maybe moderate. It's like lower to moderate. So when I learned about like what these states mean, essentially beta for me and what they tell me is it's more about like self-talk, self-referencing talk, they call it. Hmm. And so it's more about like your ego. And I've been operating for so many years without my own talk. And if I look at it, I'm more in like this alpha, theta, delta range. And that's communicating with your subconscious and it's communicating with vibration and it's more of an authentic language. So in my own journey, I read energy. That's the language of human beings for me. Mm -hmm. And like, I can like read their mind, but it's not like reading their mind. It's just like noticing how do they feel? What are they really communicating to me? Because not always are people's words aligning with their communication. Mm -hmm. So I'll look at a teacher, you know, and I realize like, yeah, they're saying the right words, but I feel their energy. And it's like, oh, like they're angry. Or like they're in this power play or they're depressed or like they're just not believing what they're saying. Yeah. 
um, and I can see it all over. Like there was a news little clip that I saw and this woman, one of our government officials, she's saying something, you know, and it's like, okay, she's believing it. She's believing it. And then the, the reporter asked her a personal question about like herself and her family. And she gave an answer, but you could feel the energy shift. And it's like, whoa, whatever she's talking about, she's lying right now. Yeah. You know, and so you can read the person's energy and then you realize, oh, they're in truth or they're in falsehood or they're in like this emotion or that emotion. Mm -hmm. so part of what I teach is like get quiet in your thoughts and you'll open up a different universe that's communicating and that's the astral dimension and our emotional feelings and they're delivering a more authentic form of communication than words can do. Mm, I think anybody so. can anybody can sound like a, a guru you know you just read some books you memorize the words like anybody can do it but mm. who's actually embodying that higher state of consciousness who's actually transmitting the energy mm. and that's i think one of the reasons why you learn these ancient books they say i'm um, like only an enlightened person can recognize another enlightened person mm. which basically says only you can only recognize or you can only like observe life and recognize things when it's at your own level so if you're enlightened in your emotional body, now you can understand everyone else's emotions. Mm. If you're enlightened in your causal body, the deep part of your mind, now you'll read reality from that level. Yeah. And until you're there, it's difficult because you just can't perceive it. Definitely. And I must say that some gurus, um, I think part of their way is that they have to um, have their own challenges. So they will be things will be said about them or, you know, people will interpret certain things and there's nothing they can really do, but just sit in peace with that and be like, yeah, that's even, that's, they're doing something. That's a choice. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's tough. When I first started channeling, I had a lot of comments that I was like channeling the devil and I was like sharing, sharing Satan's message. And like, here I am just starting out. It's like my fifth video and I'm all excited. And I started 99 days of channeling like all in a row. And I'm real excited. And like the first comments I get are people saying I'm doing the work of Satan. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God. And part of you panics and you want to like correct it. You know, mm -hmm. me, like, I want to make sure everything's clear, like accurate. And so like, I wanted to comment and I had to step back and be like, no, like, you know, they're free to have their opinion and I shouldn't feel I have to control their mind. And I feel like I shouldn't have to defend myself because everybody's going to have their opinion of me. Like my job is just to express myself as clearly and authentically as I can mm -hmm. and not get into this reactive state of mind of trying to control how people think of me. Yeah. People, they're going to think of you any way you want. I mean, that's like the problem we have in a lot of relationships. You know, you're trying to come from your heart and, but you say something and it triggers their fear. And it's like, but I didn't even mean that when I said it. <laughs> and so communication is a tricky one because we're working with words and people can't read the emotion. Because if I could read the, or someone could read the emotion, they might feel like, oh, he's caring, but he's like totally using the wrong words. Like mm -hmm. he doesn't know how to speak to me, but he's feeling in the right place with me. Yeah, which is... Yeah, where you're coming from is obviously the most important aspect. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I agree. I, I must say that podcasting and even Joe Rogan, all these discussions, it's, you see the authenticity there and the, the matching of, you know, they're, they're still speaking from their heart space often, you know, and they're not trying to hide something. And they're showing us that we don't have to hide. I mean, if you look what they're talking about and comedians or whatever, I feel like that's allowing us to just also open up and, yeah and see what, what positive things can happen with such yeah. an experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, this is a lesson for self-acceptance, unconditional love, and shaming. 
And we're seeing like shaming is so huge right now. It's blowing up in our media. You know, you're, you're told to be ashamed of your history. So they're trying to like rewrite human history, which, you know, it's just based on shame. They're saying we should feel ashamed of it such as they pretend it didn't happen rather than embracing it and saying, no, I accept this is the journey that souls are upon. And we made lots of mistakes, but we have to remember the past so we can learn and improve. So interpersonally, right, there's like this battle going on about authenticity and truth and self-love and unconditional love and acceptance and learning how to balance that while we're all different. And so like, I think it's beautiful, like you said with Joe Rogan, like we're being authentic, we're saying this is me. And it's not usually what we see with these celebrities or these public figures because so much is scripted. And that's showing us we're all the same and we can be authentic and we can honor ourselves and there's room enough for everyone in this world. Yeah. 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 So the shaming it's, thing's huge because it's a big lesson. Everyone's going to get it this time around. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, we have to face it. Yeah. It's, it's definitely, uh, and it's good of course to see that if somebody else does it before you, you, you know, in, in a public forum, it's like, then, you know, in front of your friends and family, it should be, you know, they, they didn't die. And, and you know, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. And we're seeing that. I mean, it's that a number of times, you know, especially in like where people live a different style of life, you know, a person comes out into the spotlight and they get socially accepted. Not everybody else who is feeling that way or wanting to live that way feels more accepted themselves. And so we're seeing that again, you know, with the different lifestyle choices that people are having, it's like, how can we be accepting and honoring of it and realize like they're free to be themselves. And if, as long as they don't step on my feet, like that's okay. You know, who am I to judge them or try to control them? I really have to allow them to have that experience because that's what is coming through them. And when I stop shaming others, it's related to myself also no longer shaming myself. And for your spiritual development, I think that posting all your videos on YouTube must have been of assistance in that process in putting yourself out there. As you said, like can, having that, you know, comment coincidentally, whatever, that, you know, at the very beginning, it was such a, you know, and having that reaction, but then obviously probably even realized over time, the love just kept on coming more and more. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I had to work through my, my own challenges. Um, yeah. One of my challenges, so I grew up with two brothers and uh, I'd often get in, we'd all get in trouble for the group. Okay. So like my one brother would do something and we'd all get punished. That's nice. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. So that, but that caused an issue for me because it felt unfair. It's like, you know, why am I getting sent to my room when he was the one making all the noise and he's, you know, throwing stuff at me and I'm trying to behave myself, you know, or in the car on a long trip and we all get in trouble and we can't you know, go to the beach that day or whatever. And, but he was the one kicking the seat. It wasn't me, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, so for me, there was a feeling of unfairness that was conditioned into me based upon how I was raised. And so when I started posting these uh, videos and getting these comments, it felt like this isn't fair in the sense that I have to speak up and correct them. Like they're saying I'm doing the bad thing or they're posting a comment, but they're misunderstanding like what I'm saying in the video. So I have to like correct it. I have to make it fair and right and truthful. So that was an opportunity for me to learn, to learn from myself and to, to realize that Everyone's going to have their interpretation, right? Everyone's going to create their own reality. How can I be at peace and how can I just express myself with the understanding I'm just putting this into my reality? Mm -hmm. um, so yes, yeah, so I could see how like my childhood conditioning in different areas was definitely coming up inside of me as I expressed myself into the world. Mm -hmm. Because what was inside of me is still going to be vibrating and attracting a response from the outer world. And as I interact with the outer world, I have an opportunity to see deeper into myself correct what's in myself and then the outside world corrects itself in response. Mm -hmm.
No, it's an excellent uh, school. I mean, just uh, I think YouTube is a high vibrational idea that came about at the right time. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, at the beginning it was just, uh, remember that video of that kid, the brother who bit the finger and, you know, uh, that was like the big, biggest video in the beginning. It was just like, uh, you know, uh, Charlie bit my finger. I don't know if you remember that, that, that phrase, was, but, uh, but it's developed into like this university of information where people and normal universities, you can't get a channeled lecture like you give and you know and i i think it's the highest form of information for me i mean it's it's yeah. definitely not um it's always being up to date you know and in, in, in the in the moment it's um and, and yeah it's authentic yeah. um i think you know we're so used to all of our information being revised and edited before it's published you know so the books were rewritten to be perfect and it's a beautiful work of art like a well-written book is very artful, you know, because a lot of skill goes into it and a lot of creativity and awakens things in us, but it's not necessarily authentic in reference to the human experience. Mm -hmm. So we look at like old movies and everything had like a romantic feel, like a perfectionist feel, an idealistic feel. And then we get reality TV and life's messy <laughs> and it's beautiful and it's fun and it's happy, but it's also messy and there's also struggle and suffering. And it's not this perfectly scripted story has all the same elements, but it's written differently when it's natural. Mm. And so YouTube and many other avenues like that really allowed us to see into each other's lives in an authentic way. And it allowed us to share ourselves in an authentic way. And I think that's one of the reasons why there's so much an acceleration of human growth right now. Because mm. before what we'd see was in our own families, we wouldn't see a window into anyone else's family. And so when we were young, maybe you thought like, oh, these are like my problems and no one else has problems, <laughs> you know? And now we have reality TV and YouTube TV. And so we're seeing that like, whoa, like we're all the same. We all have these inner struggles. They were just hidden from view because everything was so scripted before. Mm. It's, a, it's definitely, I think it's that thirst for authenticity. I mean, that's the ultimate entertainment, isn't it? I, mean, I guess in the 50s, you know, you had these it's very theatrical kind of, films black and white or whatever and it's like you know the typical man you know who who was uh in the in the woman and and it's like these the and now it's so um you look at things like mr beast or whatever on youtube and you and if you've heard of him or you know but it's like that's that's what my kids are watching and it's it's a guy who is basically donating buying houses for people uh and doing feats of like burying himself for you know 50 hours on the under the ground and, and you know and that's there you know and there's something about that that's really you know obviously the unscripted aspect and you know um yeah it's it's teaching us something about you know um that anybody become can you know put themselves out there have their their fame or whatever if they want to yeah. it's not i think that that's yeah, yeah it's beautiful yeah. yeah yeah i'm so fortunate that youtube came along when it did because i've you know built everything i do upon that and it's allowed me to release so much content um because i don't edit it i just hit record and i'll chop off the beginning and the end of the video and just throw it up there and it allows me to you know keep teaching and keep sharing and to keep growing myself Every time I channel, I'm transformed because I'm embodying something greater than my human personality, greater than my social conditioning. So I'm embodying this higher wisdom, this higher frequency, and it's leveling me up every time I channel while I'm also presenting something to the world that people can choose. Yeah, so I'm really, really fortunate.
So would you like to level up one more time? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah if, definitely. I'm excited. Um, and if you would wish, if, if uh, the higher self would like to um, have a, has a message at the beginning, uh, forever long, he or she wishes right. is fine. Then I'll ask. Yeah, I'll channel for you. Cool. Yeah, yeah, I'll channel for you. And then you hear me ask you if you have questions. Then you okay, can go back. Okay, appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Dear one, close your eyes. Feel your spiritual heart. Be at peace. You, dear one, are God. You are the creator of this experience. You are the intelligence shaping your life. Feel your heart. Feel yourself as this open state of awareness. Feel yourself embracing this world. You, dear one, are God, and you are here awakening to this realization. Everything that comes through you is creating everything around you. And as you awaken to the reality that you stand at the beginning of this process, then you can choose what comes into your life. So when you meditate, feel yourself as that deepest place of observational intelligence. Before thought appears, your intelligence appears. It's the deepest part, meaning it's the most formless. It's the most quiet and subtle. And feel your body, you're a space of awareness, the most subtle form of a body there is. The physical body is very dense, the emotional body less dense, the mind less dense, and even less dense than the mind is your field of conscious awareness. So when you become aware of yourself, you're actually going into yourself to the most silent, still, empty state and you're realizing you are alive there. You're intelligent, aware, and energetic there. And when you feel yourself as this deeper consciousness, you're at the beginning of the process of creation, and what you create from that deeper state then becomes the mind, and becomes the emotion, and becomes the body's expression. So when we are awakening, we're learning to go into ourselves, which is the same as going back to the most subtle expression of yourself as a creative form, which is the same as saying going back to the beginning of the creative process. You, dear one, are going most subtle to establish yourself there because what happens subtly first is the most powerful and then it becomes mind, emotion, body, and world. So when we're living our lives, we should stay aware of ourselves as being the most subtle thing. It's very easy to lose awareness of the most subtle because we're taught to focus on what is the loudest and what is the strongest. So in a, a crowd of people, the person with the loudest voice is the one that everyone hears. 
the person with the, the most push is the one that everyone follows. So in the physical world alone, right, the alpha male, right, the lion king, they're the leader of the group. But when we awaken spiritually, we learn to value that which is most subtle, because that is truly what moves the universe in the greatest of ways. So as you continue to awaken, remember that your God consciousness and you're the most subtle experience there is. And if you feel the open space, if you notice its silent, still, empty qualities, you start perceiving yourself as this deeper consciousness. And if you observe how form creates, you'll notice something very subtle moves inside of you, and then it becomes known as an understanding. Then it becomes felt as an emotion. Then it becomes heard as a thought and acted out with your tissue, with your physical body. And then lastly, it gets reflected to you by the events of your human life. If we awaken our observational powers, we will witness this. And then we'll understand how to position ourselves at the beginning of creation, the beginning of this creative process. Because you see, dear one, you actually exist beyond all these layers. And you can focus yourself into any layer and create with any form. To be a master in the human reality, we must focus at the deepest layer because then we have complete creative control of what it gets expressed into our lives. If we're focused only on the body, we don't have creative awareness nor creative control over the emotions, the mind, and this deeper consciousness. So your God consciousness, and you're everywhere, and you're more than these human forms, you're more than these human layers, and you can put yourself anywhere you want, and you have that experience. But if you want to live the fullest human life, if you want to live your purpose for why you've come into this reality, then you must go deepest inside yourself, feel yourself as this consciousness, and then create from that depth. So the most subtle is the most powerful, right? The most subtle. As it has been said, dear ones, even the faith of a mustard seed, right, is enough to change this world. Right? Even the smallest of seeds, the most subtle of seeds, has the greatest power. Okay, now, we hoped you liked our teaching. And now, of course, we're going to invite you to have a conversation with us. So please do say what you wish to say, ask what you wish to ask. We're happy to communicate with you. Thank you, Harman. That was amazing and beautiful. Um, I really felt that. And uh, this idea of reality being like an ocean where everybody's flapping around and afraid they're going to sink beneath the water and it feels like it, there's a bit of faith that required to just stand still and and um let yourself sink a bit and but know that you won't you know um you won't drown is that a, a way, good way of understanding what's going on um well the truth dear one is you could drown right we have to understand what we're holding on to you see, dear one, some people during these times of uh, tumultuous events, during these times of uncertainty, these big ocean waves, sometimes they hold on to something that does not serve the highest good, right? If you, dear one, hold on to a block of concrete while you're in the water, you're going to fall to the bottom. But if you, dear one, hold on to a life preserver, then you're going to stay floating at the top. So having faith is not enough. 
having trust is not enough. It depends, dear one, what you hold on to with your trust or faith. So when we look at trust and faith, we see it's simply a connection. It's a word used to describe feeling connected to something. When you trust a person, you connect with them and you stay connected and you co-create with them. If you trust Ilwana, a leader in the world, you connect with them, you give them your authority. You, you trust what they do, you trust their advice, you trust their guidance. In the modern day world, a lot of people are having faith in the wrong people and having trust in the wrong people. Also, human beings are having faith in God and trust in God, but it's an intangible experience of God. It's a hopeful experience of God. They're not truly connecting into the creator. They're not truly connecting into that part of themselves that feels connected to the universe, that feels and experiences a relationship to God consciousness. Now, of course, we all start just with faith in, a, in an idea, and ideas are very disconnected. But once we start to have faith in an idea, then we must develop that idea and continue on the journey of faith. And that's when we develop a personal relationship to what we're having faith within. So God, dear one, is an actual thing, you could say, because you must observe God in some form, and then you develop trust and faith to God. So perhaps it's the demonstration of the universal intelligence or the original energy of life. There's still something in your perception that you're connecting with and having faith with. So if you want to have faith in God, then develop your experience of what you understand God to be, trust in that, and then look at the results that it brings you. Because if you're choosing, dear one, to hold on to a sinking ship, you're going to go to the bottom. Just because you want to float to the top doesn't mean you are going to stay afloat. You are a creator, and you must understand what you're putting into your reality. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I've been having some dreams with water and stuff. That's why it like, also came up. Came up. And uh, I actually, uh, I actually had experiences on a personal note um, a couple of years ago where um, during when I was laying down, I woke up and two light beings were there. And um, I was, I felt my magnetically pulled to view them, but I was fearful. You know, my reaction was uh, to pull away. But before I completely pulled away, they um, one of them put up a <laughs> a pizza carton, and I was actually reminded for some reason um, Lincoln was talking about pizza, and and I thought, okay, I would, maybe I should finally ask uh, what maybe was the significance of of this symbolism from your perspective or this communication. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, what we see, dear one, is they were trying to break you out of a pattern. So in that moment, dear one, you were pulling away, you were resisting, and they wanted to break you out of that thought. So if you, dear one, saw the pizza box, it would do a number of things. First, it would confuse you, and that would distract you from where you were trying to go in your creation. And then second, the pizza, dear one, would bring you a feeling of joy. It would bring you a feeling of happiness. Then you would want to stay connected with those beings a little while longer. So we see it didn't have any great symbolic meaning, right? But it did have a very important strategic meaning as they were trying to keep you with them for a longer period of time. Yeah, unfortunately, it wasn't too much longer. Um, and it's, it, I haven't had quite an experience like that um, again. And, and I welcome it. And I'm sure it will happen at some point, something similar. I do have 
um, I've had experiences where I felt like I'm about to perhaps leave my body or perhaps to, you know, when I'm laying down, but I, I have a fear of, of that experience. Um, perhaps you can explain to me where that comes from or how, what I can do to kind of alleviate that. Well, first understand that fear of the unknown is natural. Fear of the unknown is natural. It's not something we should condemn. Far too many human beings have been condemning fear for a long, long period of time. And this is one of the illusions that human beings must transcend. There is nothing bad in this universe. Everything has its purpose, even fear. And when we respect fear and honor fear, we are then able to receive its value. And then we no longer feel trapped, controlled, and limited by fear. We no longer struggle with fear. So every vibration, every emotion is communicating and understanding to you. And fear, deal one, is simply the experience of the unknown. Right? We project into the fear bad things that may happen, right? But the fear that arises initially is the unknown. And the purpose of fear is to create an alert feeling, an alert feeling. So in this experience, deal one, where you're feeling yourself being pulled out of body, right? You can relax yourself. You can develop trust. And more important than that, you can develop a desire. You can develop an eagerness, an excitement, a wanting, because that deal one is the opposite frequency of fear. So fear holds you back from having an experience because you're not sure of what's going to happen. You don't know what the experience is going to be. So you can't trust it because you don't know it. But when you have an eagerness, because you do know what it's going to be like, you may not know exactly what it's going to be, but you've educated yourself and you know what it's going to be like, you can have an eagerness, an excitement, a strong desire to move towards what you want, what you think it's going to be. So the medicine, the antidote, right, the opposite expression, the antidote to fear is desire. People often think that the opposite of fear is love, and it's not. There is no opposite to love because it's God's energy. It's the energy of creation itself. If we examine it very closely, fear is when we hold ourselves back, when we resist moving towards something. We try to move away from it with fear. Moving towards something is desire. And high states of desire are excitement and enthusiasm. Right? And so if we create the opposite of fear, we create desire. So if you, dear one, go to sleep every night, for example, or when you practice your meditation or your spiritual exercises, when you do this, if you are looking forward to what you want, if you're excited about why you're doing it, if you're trusting in the reason for your practice, right, then you're going to allow yourself to counterbalance and overcome that fear by using the opposite energy. Hmm, that's amazing. I, I, I've often heard that love is the opposite of fear, but uh, the way you put that makes sense. Everything is at the basis love and it's um, um, the desire would be the pulling um, towards what, what's wanted and fear is the, I guess, the pulling back from what, <laughs> what is unwanted to what is... Moving away from or stopping the movement towards because you really can't stop life. You can't stop evolution. The universe is always moving forward in time. So fear is not really a moving away or a stopping. It's more like a hesitation and a resistance. Now, sometimes we perceive it as a moving away, but that's only because momentarily we stopped moving forward or we take a few steps back. But if we're desiring something, we're still moving towards it ultimately.
If we have a belief that hasn't been changed, we're still moving towards it, even though we're resisting it with fear. So when we look at the universe, we see that love is unity, right? So you're desiring love. You're desiring to be loved, to feel loved. And love is the experience of unity with something else. The lower states of love are just physical love. Higher states are emotional love. Higher than that are mental love, right? Like wisdom. And higher than that is spiritual love, which is self and other uniting into one, which is God realization, right? So the spirit is moving towards God or the soul is moving towards God. So love is the unity. Love is the end result. Desire moves us towards love, towards that unity, towards that happiness of unity. And fear tries to move us away from merging with something because we don't know what it is, we don't understand it, we don't trust it. Right? So, yeah, so love has no opposite, right? Because love is what is creating everything and love is the end result of everything. And the movement is not love. The movement is desire for love. Love is what we get. Love is what we're held in. The creative desire, the movement, that's what takes us towards it. And then the movement away, right, would be fear or resistant qualities. Mm -hmm. I think uh, Lincoln was in his conversation with me and also with Alan Steinfeld, he spoke about, um, he got to the place where um, he didn't have really desires so much for things or, um, and he had actually even asked a friend to, to practice the idea of manifestation of a, I think it was a yellow um, car of some sort for the right price and, and the right mileage. And I have a similar kind of feeling about that with me. Like I don't, this idea, this engine of, of, of desire of, you know, I know it's uh, not necessarily for objects. And I mean, I know myself, I guess, is the ultimate uh, desire, which is pulling me for it and talking with you and, and, and in this exploration. Um, but yeah, the, the, the idea of the, I'm, the, you cannot force the kindling of the desire, but you, you were, you were speaking of, I can, I can set the intention and, and feel into it. And if it truly does excite me, that will make it more likely to, um, that the way will be paved more easily for me to reach it or mm -hmm. quicker? Yeah. So, so first, dear one, you have desire. We all have desire. And like the channel, you don't have desire for physical things. Right? Your desire is for spiritual things and even mental things, right? Wanting understanding and even emotional things, wanting feelings of higher vibration. So if you truly, dear one, had no desire, you would not exist. Right? You would not exist. But what you desire are these inner states, and that's what motivates your choices and your actions. So to clarify, right, desire cannot be removed because the entire universe is a creation of desire, right? And so what we do as we evolve ourselves is we choose higher desires. We choose desires that give us more happiness, right? So desire is evolving. As we expand more fully into life, including multidimensionally, we seek higher and higher things, meaning happier and happier things. So happier physical, emotional, mental, and even spiritual level experiences. So what's important to understand is that we can embrace our desire. You see, in this human world, we've been taught that we should not embrace desire. We should resist desire. We should eliminate desire. But this dear one is an incorrect teaching, right? It's incorrect because it's not understanding the nature of life. The original teaching, the one that the Buddha gave is that there are certain behaviors, right, that are destructive, right? You call them addictions, 
right? These different types of desires that are destructive because they lack knowledge, they're ignorant. Because even the Buddha taught you should desire stillness and peace and silence. So we have to look at what we're desiring and choose it more effectively, right? And so this holds true in our reality as well. But far too many people have been taught to feel shameful for what they desire, that your body is not supposed to desire reproduction and your mouth is not supposed to desire sugar. Right? People have been taught to feel ashamed of something that is very natural and automatic, rather than looking at it objectively, trying to understand how to place that desire on a hierarchy of importance. So if you want to be healthy in your body, you should desire how your body feels more importantly than you desire how flavor tastes. Because if you only eat according to flavor, you're going to find your body unhealthy because there's many addictive foods. There's foods created with addictive chemicals that are very difficult for the willpower to overcome. So we should educate ourselves and say, my stronger desire is health. Right? Stronger than flavor is health. So I'm going to choose to eat healthy foods. Right? More important than having a material possession and using my time to earn money to purchase a, a fancy car, for example, more important than that is enlightenment. So I'm going to use my time and use my money in order to create spiritual enlightenment. So when we hire, build a hierarchy of our desires, then we add direction to our lives and then it changes how we express ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we should embrace desire and choose the object of our desire. Many great spiritual teachers even said this, you should desire to know thyself. That should be the most important desire. Or you should desire to know God, which is the same as knowing thyself. And so they taught that you should hierarchize your desires and then choose that which really serves you best. Mm. And as using addictions like whatever, sugar or alcohol, um, as in a positive sense that they are, when, if one really asks, one is, of course, at some point very much motivated, inspired to figure out what's going on. And, and it doesn't, it's not satisfying anymore. So, um, and, and somehow that the answer, of course, is, is within that addiction to the, the solution of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. In every behavior, if you observe it, you'll find all the information you need to. We have to learn how to accept something because then we can connect our awareness to that thing and learn from it. Denial of something, avoidance of something is what keeps the addiction going. This is why in many addictive therapy programs, the first step is recognizing that you have this problem. People surround you and they say, you have a problem, but it really happens so the change happens and we admit to ourselves, you know what, you're right, I do have a problem. Because I look at my life and I see my behaviors not giving me the happiness that I want and my behavior is causing suffering in those that I love. So first we have to accept, especially our problems, especially our addictions, because they are part of our path of change. They are the solutions to our very problems. So your addiction is showing you something. And when you look at it, you realize what you truly want. And you realize that you don't have the knowledge to get what you really want. That's why you've been making choices that have been taking you further away from what you want. So we often use external physical things to change our emotions and to give us a false sense of something. So you can get high on a drug, for example, and think you're enlightened, and then the drug wears off and you're not. And you realize you are just chasing a feeling. 
You see, a lot of people, dear one, are using different foods and different plant medicines even, even conversation, for example, to try to create something. But then as soon as the plant gets digested or the conversation ends, they're feeling back as they did before, incomplete. So we have to look and say, what am I trying to get through this medicine or this food or this relationship? And then ask ourselves, is there a way to create it within myself, naturally, authentically? And then we actually realize if we create it ourselves, it can become a permanent experience. You see, if you know how to create something, you can always create it. It's like the Oana person who creates great wealth, right? They build one company and they're very successful. They now know that they can create company after company after company if they wish, because they know how to do it. If you know how to put a ball into a hoop, for example, then you can repeat it. Right? So once you know you can do something, you have that skill, you have that mastery, and now you can recreate it. But if people are using external things to create the internal experience or even the experience in the world, right, then they're not actually achieving it as a permanent state because they don't know how to create it yet. So we're creators and we're learning how to create. And along this journey of participating with form, we understand that we are God. And that's the path of realization. It's not just silencing your mind, that's just a step along the journey because it benefits you to move towards the final realization that you are the creative consciousness. And by saying the realization is that you are God, we're not saying you leave creation and go happy ever after. No, we're saying you understand that you have always been God, that you've always been the creator of your reality. And as you awaken to it more fully, you go to that deepest part that we were talking of earlier. And then you actually learn that you are the creator of your reality. You are the creator of your life. You are God being a part of the universe, being part of creation itself. Mm, that's amazing. Um, I know that uh, I was speaking to Lincoln about an idea that you had uh, mentioned that for a whole day, perhaps saying that to ourselves and feeling it, I am God. And uh I haven't done that, but I, I can imagine that having a big effect. Um, and you know, there is a, yeah, I, I mean, these ideas of affirmations, um, they're, they're, they're very popular at the moment. Um, and I mean, is there an idea of obviously the fake it till you make it aspect is a, not really the, the way to go. It's more, you really have to feel it or it's not, it's going to do nothing for you. Well, first off, uh, we think that there's no way to, uh, to not create. So even someone who's trying to fake it until they make it is still creating at their highest level. So maybe they can't get into the emotional body. Maybe they just can't feel their emotions because their awareness has not expanded that far yet. So the best they can do is just pretend to feel away, try to feel away, act as if you are happy, even though you're not happy. Even that is creating positive change because you're putting forth your effort to create based upon your desire. And maybe you're at the first step, but you're still on that journey. So as you fake it, right, as you try your best, creating it in the best way you can, right, you're actually moving towards a deeper, more evolved experience. So as long as you're honoring your desire, you're not really faking anything. We just have to understand the science and the progression of this journey. 
It's going to start as physical and you're not going to notice the emotional changes. You're just not because you're not yet evolved and expanded as a creator in your emotional body. You're not failing. You're just creating at your level. So accept it and love it and do the best you can. And if you can be happy faking it before you make it, if you can be happy using physical experiences to create success, you're going to notice that you're evolving. So it's like, for example, say you have poverty consciousness, right? And, and they're saying, okay, fake it before you make it. So act as if you have a lot of money. Right? Well, if you look at yourself, if you're trying to act as if you have money, you're changing a very powerful belief pattern, right? If you're faking it, that means you're going to spend your money as if you have more money. And what you're going to do is you're going to allow yourself to act as though you're abundant. So you're going to start to generate in the physical reality that which is needed to create the understanding of wealth, right? So it's about getting in the understanding, and yes, you can act it out. Now, if you start spending money, deal one, and you're faking it before you're making it, you realize the purpose for this is to change your conditioning. The purpose of doing something physical is to change your emotion, and then it goes deeper and changes your mind, and then it changes your soul, or connects to your soul. So when we fake it before we make it, we're not at that place yet where we're going to be able to manifest infinite wealth in our world. A lot of people get mad and they say, well, I spent the money and all I have now is more debt. And we say, well, maybe you weren't taught the process. Maybe the teacher doesn't know the process. The process is you do something physically to give yourself a new understanding. And then over time, you keep building the new understanding, and that starts replacing the old understanding, and that's when you see the world changing. So you're not spending money thinking that someone's just going to keep pouring money into your bank account. No. You're spending money to learn how it feels to be abundant, to learn how it feels to give yourself permission to do what you want to do to be happy. You're learning how it feels to express yourself because the reason why you had poverty before is you weren't expressing yourself. You weren't letting yourself shine into the world. You were believing you can't be who you are. You can't share who you are. So it's about a poverty mentality. It's not about money. It's not about possessions in the world. It's about changing the identity you have, changing the core beliefs. So when people fake it, they're doing something well and if they understand the process, they know where they're going. A lot of people fake it before they make it, and they wind up with great amounts of debt, and then they get angry at the teacher and the teaching. They didn't understand the teaching, perhaps, or perhaps the teacher didn't understand the teaching, so they were only given partial information. You should not get angry at the accumulation of debt. It's a reality, of course but you should keep perspective on why you were doing what you're doing and notice the internal growth you were creating. Now, if you weren't focused on changing yourself and you were just focused on chasing after positions, then you're going to have a lot of debt and very little growth. And again, that's because you didn't understand the purpose of the manifestation teaching and practice. Hmm. So you. if we understand how things work, we can actually work with them effectively and change our reaction to them. I realize I'm spending money because it's helping me to feel free. I'm not spending money to get a bigger home. I'm not spending money so God gives me a lottery ticket, right? I'm spending money because it liberates me from my poverty mentality. And as that changes, then you'll find money and manifestation happening in abundant ways in your life. Hmm. Thank you. That's a very positive way of looking at that. And, and um, 
and we're always on our way no matter what. Uh, I guess that's the, uh, as you, you mentioned also, that we're, we're, we are perfect and, and, and there's nothing. As far as our relationship or my relationship with you as well, um, the idea that the higher mind is, um, Bashar has talked about the analogy of like, I'm in the water in a diving suit and, and I can't see <laughs> where I'm going, but I'm getting, you're, you're above looking and you know exactly what direction I'm going and, and you know how to, how are you, you're guiding me primarily through my, um, my heart or, I mean, how would you explain the guidance in this respect? Well, the first thing, dear one, is to understand that while we're above the water, right, in the sky, looking down at this diver, for example, we're also in the water. We're also as the water. We're also as the diver. You see, we're a universal state of consciousness. Your higher self, your higher self, everyone has it, is God consciousness manifest as the teacher that evolves the soul. Okay, So your higher self is the part of you that's already completed the journey of spiritual enlightenment, of complete God realization. Because everything exists at the same time, right? There is no past, there is no future. There's only the appearance of past and future. This means there must be a part of you that's always existing that has already completed the process of awakening completely, the end. Okay? And at the same time, there's all these other parts of you that are on the journey at different stages of the journey. When you desire God consciousness as a human being, you start connecting to the end part of you, to the higher self, the part that's completed the process because you're desiring to complete the process when you desire God realization. You see, whatever you desire, you start creating. It doesn't matter where it exists in time and space. It doesn't matter where it exists as a limited form or a universal form. You're God. This is really important. You're God. And whatever you desire, you start creating. So if you desire God realization, you start creating it. And what will appear is everything needed to have that realization. And because God realization is you becoming your perfect highest self, you're going to start connecting to your higher self. And that perfected part of you is now part of you. And the more you evolve into your God consciousness, the more you become the qualities of your higher self. So the higher self has all the qualities of universal consciousness. So it's in you and it's as you and it's as the space around you and it's inside of everything. So when human beings work with us in a, a personal channeling session, we call it, we connect into their reality because we are already in their reality. And we tell them things about their reality. Now, of course, what we can tell them is still limited by the channel's own container and also limited by the life experience that the other soul is having. So we cannot interfere with the journey of the other soul. So if the other soul says, right, uh, tell me when I'm going to meet my future husband, right, we'll give them information that their mind can handle. You see, because sometimes you give someone information and their mind cannot handle it, and then they start acting all these bizarre sorts of ways. Right? People start changing their behavior in these abnormal ways when they're given things that they're not yet able to process. Or sometimes it just goes right past them. They don't even hear it or see it. 
happen. So we deal one, our universal state, you have this, everyone has this, and it's that highest part of you that's already fully mastered. And that part can become your teacher and your guide when you desire God realization. So the amount of time and energy, the strength of your desire to know God determines how fully you connect with that God realized part of you and you become it. At first, it appears like something external talking to you because you've defined yourself as separate from God. But the more you realize I'm one with God, the more you start becoming your higher self as well. Mm, that's such a deep message and uh, definitely hits home. I'm very, very appreciative, um, higher self, uh, for the wonderful wisdom you always uh, deliver. Um, and uh, yeah, if Lincoln would like to come back, um, be much appreciative of that. Well, we thank you for joining us. We're so happy that we can present to you. We love doing this work. We love sharing with the world, those who desire to hear our message and to experience more of themselves. Remember everyone, you're creators of your reality and what you choose is what you create. So be very, very clear on where you're directing your mind, your emotions and your body. Be very clear of what you're creating in your reality, of what desires you're actually empowering with your time and your focus and your energy. And if you choose wisely, you'll have those experiences. And that's designed to show you that you are the creator. So enjoy this journey, love your process, celebrate your life, and remember, everything that you perceive is the same as you. So cultivate a state of loving kindness towards all of life everywhere, and you'll find much joy and happiness awakening within you and around you in this world. Mm. Namaste. Namaste. Wow, man, that's amazing. How, how much you? How much do you actually? Uh, how much of you is there? I mean, did you were you able to catch it all? Or yeah, yeah, I'm fully present. Okay. Um, I lose a lot of awareness of the physical reality. So as I've been coming more and more of a channel or a better channel, I'm essentially able to become more of that experience. So I'm seeing in my like mental field of vision, because my eyes are closed, so I'm not seeing the world. I'm seeing in a mental field of vision whatever I'm talking about, and I'm feeling the energy. So when you talked about the diver, like when it said it was like up in the sky, I saw the ocean below me, and I saw the sky around me, and I saw through the water this diver in a suit. And then when I said, we're the water around the diver, I saw myself as the water, became the water, and there's the diver in front of me. When it said, you know, we're, and we're also being the diver, now I was being the diver in that like dreamlike experience, basically. I was being it in my mind. Wow. I've noticed in some of your videos, uh, your, your eyes are open uh, in the beginning ones, I guess, and then you kind of shifted more to closed eyes. I can do both. Yeah, it's, it's uh, easy. Yeah, um, I trained myself. I don't know really why. I didn't make a conscious choice in the beginning to do it eyes open, other than I wanted to show people um, like what was happening. Um, like, uh, like it was interesting. So I did some eyes open, and someone says, "Oh, he's not channeling. He's reading." It's like in the beginning when I was doing this, and I said, "Okay, so I'll do it with my eyes closed then." I do it with my eyes closed. It's the same thing, right? And then I do it without blinking because, like, you don't need to blink, and you know your eyes get like watery in that. You know, it's like uh, there's a yogic practice where you can look at a candle flame and you know train your eyes to stay open. And when you're relaxed and your your mind's not moving, your eyes don't move. So I wanted people to see that. Like I can look straight ahead, I can be relaxed and I can communicate a whole conversation with you because I'm not distracted by any thoughts or anything happening in my mind's activity. Mm -hmm. So there are purposes for all the different displays you know, that I gave, but essentially I can do it eyes open, eyes closed. 
Mm. Now with eyes closed, I'm perceiving less of the physical reality. And so I'm able to go deeper into that non-physical state. And so like I explained in the diver example, I become more of that experience that I'm talking about when my eyes are closed because I'm taking my awareness away from the physical reality. That's really, that, there's an extra uh, dimension to that, uh, to your interpretation as well, because you're actually feeling it and living it, uh, the experience. And I, I think, uh, yeah, the, the, with the pizza box example and those light beings, could you see them as well in your mind? or I, I could see them, yeah. I no. could see them. No, I see my version of them. This is important to understand. It's something I learned through through my time. Um, so when I'm seeing something non-physically, I'm seeing the energy of it. And I can describe the qualities and the person will confirm it. But I'm not necessarily seeing the physical reality because I'm in an energetic body. Because um, the communication, if you think about the universe, like everything's pure energy and then you convert it. So it's like um, like the data from the internet. Like when it travels through the, the cable lines, it's just ones and zeros, ones and zeros, ones and zeros. But then it comes into your processor and your computer, and then the processor changes it into a picture on your screen, right? So when I'm in this universal state, there's this data that I'm gathering, and then my mind puts it in a way that I can understand, mm. right? And so sometimes, like the way I see people, for example, I can tell you all about their personality. But then I look at the person and they look different than how I saw them. And it's like, yeah, because you needed to understand who they were, not how they look, because you were talking about their personality, mm. something like that. Um, yeah, so I've noticed these differences. And maybe part of it is like my own block, you know, my own belief structure, because I still have human beliefs that aren't allowing me to have the fullest experience of that communication just yet. Um, I, I'm a, to, I mean, something to work towards, I guess, or to be yeah, able to. I mean, yeah. if you had, if you had it all, it would be kind of boring, right? Yeah, exactly. I got to go on a journey. We all do. Yeah, and that's the fun of life is to be an individualized version of God, and then create with all these other individualized versions of God, while at the same time knowing we're all the same consciousness. Hmm. Uh, yeah, the game of life would be no fun if, if there was no challenge, if there was no forgetfulness, no ignorance. Um, it gives you something to do. It makes life meaningful. I'm I'm thinking like where you're at, of course, the the co-creation idea really is a hotbed there in Sedona. You're talking to people on a daily basis who realize that they're creators on some level. And yeah. That makes it, I guess, more fun. It is enjoyable. I, I keep a pretty quiet life um, just because I, you know, my whole spiritual path, a lot of it has been cultivation within myself. Mm. And, uh, and for me, like a lot of human conversations just aren't very interesting. Because um, for me, I don't seek emotion like a lot of people seek emotion in their relationships. Mm -hmm. So I am a very like, goal-oriented personality. So my time is very productive. Uh, whatever I'm doing, I like creating more things, I like moving towards goals. So when I was younger, like conversations and talking about whatever floats through your mind was a waste of time. I would rather be doing something that creates something, that builds something. Mm. So I have a lot of friendships, but we also like, there's always progress happening. There's something like that feels important going on. There's an objective. Mm -hmm. um, it's not just sitting around and, you know, spending time talking, which has value. It has emotional value, but because I've learned to work on my own emotions and feel happy and joyous all the time, I don't like seek that type of emotional interaction in the same way. Mm -hmm. um, now I have close friends and we talk about our lives, but my closest friends also are very, like dedicated and productive to what they're doing. 
Mm-hmm. So maybe in spirituality or they own their own companies. So there's always like some creative process happening that is, is very enjoyable. And that's what our focus is. Mm-hmm. And that's also very masculine. You know, it's a very male quality to be building things and doing things in the world. Yeah, start on the sandbox and keeps them going, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I'm a male in this lifetime, so yeah, why not be? So enjoy it. No, uh, Lincoln, I'm, I'm very appreciative of your time and information uh, that's come. I mean, uh, it's blown me away, uh, and I'm thinking a lot of other people will also be very impressed. Uh, do you have maybe your website and, and how people can reach you? Yeah, so it's channelhigherself.com. And then on YouTube, it's also Channel Higher Self. So if you go to youtube.com slash channel higher self, and you go to my homepage on YouTube, I have another website called higherselfteachings.com, and that's a website store. And so I have some professional guided meditations I recorded like in 2010 to 2012 or 13, I made these. So there's music with them, and they were like uh, made with a company in Australia that has uh, called Karma Living. So if you live in Australia, Karma Living, uh, they produced my CDs, they're friends of mine. And uh, so those are on the store, there's some workshops, there's a bunch of different things that are for sale. And the inner circle idea, I saw that, that looks pretty cool. Yeah, the inner circle is fun. Uh, I love it, so I've been doing it for a little over a year now. So every Sunday we meet in a channel for about three to three and a half hours. And I give them a teaching, guided meditation, and then at the end for about an hour and a half to two hours, they have an opportunity to ask questions to the higher self. Um, so it's three hours every Sunday morning, and then I post it as private YouTube videos, and I email it out as MP3 files. So if you participate, you can review the teachings, and you're supposed to try to use the practices every day. Mm-hmm. And then each week's lesson builds on the next. We do it for three months. We focus on a theme for that three-month period. So you sign up, and you get a theme. Like the theme right now is learning how to channel healing energy into your physical body, and then also how to channel healing energy for others. Wow. Yeah, so we're going to learn how to do all that fun stuff. And yeah, I love the inner circle. It lets me interact with a lot of people. It's a different format than what I'm used to doing uh, for, you know, for 20 years almost. I would just sit in front of the camera myself and record on my own and, so, and do personal sessions one-on-one. But the group setting is it's new for me. I really enjoy it. Um, and it's nice to like build with the community and like really develop a teaching. So for those of you who've watched my, my teachings, you'll notice the, the higher self like has a, a mastery of explaining things and like building systems and building knowledge. Um, and so these three months periods, like every lesson builds on the next. So it's like writing a book. It's like having chapters in a book. Mm-hmm. So it's really, really cool. Um, yeah, I enjoy it. And the feedback from it's really great. Nice. I mean, I've only watched, I mean, I've watched a few in the last two weeks uh, and everyone has been amazing. Uh, just, uh, I'm happy of these discoveries, like so many channelers popping up that I just never heard of. And I don't know why I haven't, because I mean, I mean exactly what you're speaking and it resonates so well and your presence. It's, it's definitely, uh, you can tell, I can tell that you, you're in your middle, you're aligned. <laughs> and, uh, I, yeah, I'm very thankful and I appreciate your time and, um, have a lovely day. I, what time is it now in Sedona? It's uh, uh, 11 o'clock. So it's still morning. So enjoy your, morning and yeah. uh yeah i'll, I'll definitely maybe i'll see you sometime live I'm, i definitely would love to see visit sedona it's it's on my list uh, yeah 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 come on out yeah send me an email when you do it's a beautiful place uh the energy is just absolutely phenomenal bring your hiking shoes because that's what you do here you go out into the different canyons and the forests and you find the vortexes and you know you look for 
extraterrestrials and spaceships and so that's not your thing though you said <laughs> no, no that's not my thing that's a, it's um, just my kind of thing I, yeah go ahead i mean i think i for some reason in this lifetime i program myself to be really into the science fiction stuff so mm. when i discover that a lot of these channelings are from ets it kind of like okay that fits with all the stuff i was reading as a kid mm-hmm. you know uh, although there wasn't really a book out there that really had this concept it's like that's how they use us as radio transmitters. It was always something else, you know, another device or on a spaceship, but it's, it's like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a lot of experiences with interdimensional beings. Um, I mean, I can see them when I channel for people, they ask me to get information. Uh, just the other day I did like a, a 90 minute psychic reading for a woman in Sedona, you know, all about her ET connection and past lifetimes and ships and things. And, uh, so it's a lot of fun to look at, you know, definitely I'm open to it. I mean, one of my first teachers in Sedona, he would go up on ships all the time. Uh, he actually, he told us that there are different rocks in Sedona that you can choose to meditate on. And each one has a strong connection to one particular ship or race of beings. Oh, okay. And so he would go to these different ones and he would have an out of body experience every time he'd meditate, if he would meditate for 18 minutes or longer. Wow. So, yeah, I wanted to teach meditation when I first came to Sedona, like his method, because I already learned my own ways. And he said, okay, well, if you want me to stay with you in the room, we can only do it for like up to 18 minutes. Because after 18 minutes, he's like, I start getting pulled out of my body. So I started meditating with this guy. I went over to his house and a phenomenal experience. So I'm meditating there with him. And about like a minute or two minutes into it, I start feeling this big tube of energy above my head starting to grow. And I'd never felt it before like that because I was, you know, 22 years old at the time. It was really strong and it felt like, you know, big, like a a big tube. And it was like trying to pull me out of the top of my head. Mm. It was really, really strong. It's like, wow. Um, And so then, you know, he told me that this is what his experience is. Um, So it was this phenomenon. I was able to feel that and like that was helping to awaken my own experience. Mm. He explained it to you and then you had, you can understand what's going on with you. Yeah, I had the experience and I told him what it was. Mm. Um, and so then I, you know, we had a conversation afterwards and, you know, just give me a little more information, but I had known a lot about it. Um, not feeling the two, but, you know, I read about like Robert Monroe and his out-of-body experiences when I was in college. And um, I had, you know, crown chakra things as well, but mine weren't like this in terms of feeling that tube so strongly. I had more sudden ejections out of my crown rather than feeling a tube built there. That's trying to pull me out. Fascinating. No, it's yeah. lost. It's a, uh, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, I, I, I think you're doing wonderful work and uh, I can only recommend what I've seen. And uh, you, you also have like workshops, uh, meditation and helping people channel. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I do workshops. Um, I stopped a number of years ago and just restarted this last year. Um, so I, before I traveled around the world, essentially, so I've done workshops in Australia, also in a bunch of countries in Europe, um, and then the United States. And, uh, and so now I'm just getting started with those again. And then the COVID thing happened. So we were able to do one in Sedona and we have you know, plans to do a number of them in Europe again, also different cities in the United States. Um, yeah, any way I can share this, I enjoy it, you know, and, uh, I've liked over 2000 videos on YouTube. So yeah, check them out. And every time I've channeled, it's been recorded. So you can see what I started as, how I began as a channel. 
and how I am now, and you'll see a very, very big difference. Definitely. So that can give like encouragement to people starting out on these things and to see what is possible for anyone when you dedicate yourself to something and you, you know, stay in that process. Cool. Well, thank you. Namaste, Lincoln. And uh, yeah, I'll see you in another now. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Justin. Yeah, I appreciate you inviting me onto your show. And I hope that everyone that tuned in really enjoys it. And yeah, keep doing what you're doing. And I wish you the best in your practices. Also, you know, with your family, you said you had, you had children. So I wish you the best with that. And you're a real heart-centered guy. So I'm sure your children are really blessed to have a good dad. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Huh? Yeah, you're welcome. All right. Yeah. Enjoy Europe. Enjoy Germany. Thank you, man. Bye. Yeah, yeah take care.